Just tell me when you're ready, buddy. Uh, I say go ahead and start it up. Starting it up. Crom. Nebraska? Of course. Josh, you ready here in Kentucky? I'm ready in Kentucky. And out there on the, the, the fringes of the, the, the northern portion of the continent, do we have uh, do we have somebody else with us? Yes, you do. <laughs> we have Karen Kaotic with us. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. Everybody, this is the Chromecast. I'm Luke. I'm Josh. And I am Jonathan. Woohoo! So everybody, we are back. This is what our ninth season. Ninth season, the starting so, up the the so called road of revisions. That's what we're getting into, uh, and we're we're lucky enough to have a, a special guest here joining us from the the cold countries to the north, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 excited to be talking about. Uh, a little dude named Conan and another little dude named Cole. Maybe you've maybe you've heard of them. We're, we're sort of fellers. <laughs> circling back around to to our first story that we covered from the the very earliest days of the Chromecast. I'm excited for this, guys. They say you can't go home again, man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I am totally going to listen to that episode tomorrow. You know that. <laughs> uh, it it is something. It's uh, some rough stuff in terms it's- of. Uh, <laughs> The AV quality there. It's pretty great because one of the first things we say is we've never podcasted before, <laughs> as if as if you can't tell. And but, here we are, more than half a decade later, and, and you would never know any a, different. A well-oiled machine. No. Nah, uh, so so yeah. So everybody, thank you for for listening. If this is your first time jumping on the Chromecast wagon, welcome. Uh, probably you've listened to some some other episodes in the past because. I don't necessarily know what you might be jumping on for the first time, but but uh, the the overall idea here, guys, with with our, our season nine, like what's the pitch, Josh? What's the the pitch? No, the pitch is that uh, it's established, it's pretty well established that Robert E. Howard's work was revised and published uh, under the the same story titles or or brand new story titles throughout the the sixties and seventies. Um, by folks like Elsbrick DeCamp and Lynn Carter and, and a suite of others. But uh, there are cases where Howard revised his own work and changed it substantially. And, and uh, uh, tonight we're going to talk about one great example of a substantial change that uh, was serendipitous, I think. It uh, launched the, um, the career of our favorite barbarian character in fantasy and... Uh, pulps, and that's Conan the Barbarian. Uh, so, without this change in this story, uh, the the original being uh, by this axe I rule, a call story, um, where would the Sumerian be? Yeah, and so so Josh, you came up with some pretty metal sort of like subtitles or intro titles for the various uh, episodes that we'll cover this season. I think you termed this one the initiation. Welcome, friends, <laughs> to the initiation. <laughs> and so we we kind of had these ideas, but we started poking around, and then we realized that somebody had already initiated 
the the conversation ahead of us, and that's yep. that's Karen. <laughs> Karen's the real initiator. So, uh, so Karen, you wrote an essay about this uh, this exact topic about a year ago, right? Yes, it's on uh, the blog on an Underwood number five, and it looks like it was back in wow July of twenty eighteen. Yeah, so uh, we're we're coming up on about you know, nine or 10 months since, <clears throat> I guess about nine months since, since that, since that article came out. But, you know, Josh, uh, kicked it or kicked it towards us and said, Hey, this looks, looks like it's in our wheelhouse. And we, we, you know, read it up and we decided, Hey, we needed to reach out. I know we had interviewed you last year for Howard days. And that was, that was a fun highlight of the sitting around the picnic table and talking with people on the microphone. So we were excited to, to strike up a conversation with you, uh, again. So thanks again for joining, joining us. Oh, I'm happy to do it. Yes, that was a super fun. Uh, that was a super fun night, and I actually listened to that episode finally. And it sounds like I uh, did uh, pretty well with the bourbon, which I don't really remember. But <laughs> that and, seems about right. And it did well with you. And so, and so you uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did you you walked away with a uh, with a foundation award last year. Is that right? I did. It yeah. was the uh, Bobby Deary and I. Tied for the Sumerian for the online essay. There we go. Okay, and so and so you are a Howard scholar. And you, how long have you been writing, sort of within the field? That's a good question. I was going to look that up. I'd say it's been at least eight years. Okay, it might be as many as ten, but that seems crazy. Okay, and has uh, has Robert e. Robert E. Howard's work been sort of the the focus of a lot of your scholarly work, or have you done a variety of other things? It's it's kind of my my core subject that I always come back to. I've started trying to branch out a little more and splash out a little more. I I started off branching out into Lovecraft and Mackin and how they were related to Howard. Okay, but now I've got some other stuff. I did a thing on the Gamera movies. I have a thing coming up about voodoo and the work of uh, Ishmael Reed, which is cool. That's kind of the most traditionally literary thing I'll have had published. If that. Supposed to come out in June. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of doing a bunch of crazy stuff. So I, uh, I, so I, I have to admit I didn't go back and listen to the to the Howard Days episode, but I'm recalling. Did you mention that you were writing uh, fiction too? In that, in that yes, recording? I do have a full length novel. Okay. I just sent out to its second place. I don't know. I don't know if I have okay. much hope for it, but, and I submitted a novella to this tour novel novella competition. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and the last time I checked, I was like 200 in the queue and it was like nine months ago that I sent it in. <laughs> so there were like a thousand ones ahead of me in the queue and I submitted it. So no, that's badass. So again, the competition's aiming, pretty stiff, but I like it. At least yeah. I'm, I'm giving it a shot. <laughs> cool. Why cool. not? Right on. So, uh, so you are a uh, a weird fiction pulp pulp scholar of of a variety of stripes, but Howard is is your focus, right? Uh, I, I would say yes. That's what I always I always come back to Howard. Howard is kind of the center, you know, the rock of what I do. Nice. Well, this is this will be a fun story. I I know at least for me, and I know we've covered a handful of these points and like the the ending to our last season and and that kind of kind of thing where we've sort of hinted around at where we'll go but i hadn't read by the sex i rule i don't know if uh john or josh had you guys read it before negative 
No, I had not. Yeah. I had not. So, and so yeah, this was a new story for me. <laughs> and I hadn't, I hadn't returned to uh, Phoenix on the Sword like really since 2013. So this is the first time I'm coming back to that story. So it was kind of fun to be able to come back to that OG Conan story, but also like to read a Cole story that we that, that we stayed away from whenever we were talking about Cole during the uh, the Atlantean Lost World season. Yeah, that's right. So, so, and the reason is during that Lost World season, the Lost Road, we stuck to works that had been published. Right. And by this axe, I ruled, never found a home. And we'll talk more about that, I think, in a little bit. But uh, I think it's just part of that uh, serendipitous series of events that led to Conan. Cool. So, so Karen, I mean, we have a little bit of front end material, and we'll get to that here. But I've, I, I, this is leading me to a question, though, So th- <laughs> that I'm already thinking. Like, like, as you were writing your article, and we've already sort of laid the groundwork there, that that was something that, that's come before, you know, this podcast uh, – you know, how many times did you end up going over those two stories? I mean, there's clear sort of references to like side by side page number, line number type stuff. But were you well versed in those stories before you said, hey, I think I'm going to make a comparative uh, essay or analysis? I was not that well versed in them when I started it. I think I was probably a little more comparable to how long it's been since you read The Phoenix and the Sword. I read the Cole stories right after. I finished reading all the Conan stories. That was my next step in Howard. I thought that seemed logical, but I hadn't really revisited them. And I kind of had an idea. I just thought I'd never written anything about Cole. And I thought it would be fun to go back and reread something and see if there was anything I wanted to play around with. I think I thought I would write something on the Shadow Kingdom because that's probably my favorite. Just the snakes are so great. Mm -hmm. But then I started looking at By the Sacks I Rule and I'd really kind of forgotten just how much... Oh, the similarities and the differences between the Conan stories. Right. So then I had to reread them both a couple of times. And then also the the earlier draft of Phoenix on the Sword, which is included in the Del Rey Coming of Conan, the right. Sumerian collection. And some of that stuff is really – and then, then I got really interested in it because of that that intermediate Conan who's not the Conan we know yet. Mm-hmm. He's diverging a lot from Cole and he's become his own character. But he's a very different character, I felt, than the one that eventually got published. And it's kind of one of those, if he didn't make those final revisions, would Conan have really caught on as much? Would he have eventually adjusted? I don't know. So there's a lot of – it was a lot of fun to kind of explore all of that stuff. Awesome. Yeah, this is this is the meat and potatoes, right? Okay, so okay, so so we'll put on the brakes. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get our front matter out of the way just real quick, and we'll jump back into the the, the heavy conversation here. So, uh, John, what are you drinking over there? I am enjoying an orange Lacroix. Oh, Lacroix. Uh, what do you have over on 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 your uh, your side of the microphone, Karen? Are you drinking anything special? Oh, that's funny that you're drinking an orange, an orange, sorry, an orange <laughs> Lacroix, because I'm here as a water drinking Sumerian tonight myself. I am just drinking the th- the throat coat tea. Mm, nice. We must hydrate. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Barbarians must hydrate. <laughs> nice. Uh, we have here in front of us. I have a, a growler with a bunch of a. Uh, death metal like stickers on it so it's <laughs> it's my death metal growler haha uh, <laughs> that has that sounds much better <laughs> that has uh uh dreaming creek brewery which is one of kentucky's proudest uh 
little uh, little breweries that we have. Uh, it has their uh, standard IPA, the Tick Liquor. That's what we are drinking here. But Josh, you also brought some uh, some good old Kentucky beers. Well, yep, I've got some uh, Country Boy Halfway Homes yeah. uh, from Country Boy Brewing right here in Lexington, Kentucky, and then a Nano Meadery or a Nano Cidery Craft Cider from. <laughs> Uh, Josh's meadery <laughs> that's been aging since October. Nice. Yeah. So uh, we're, it sounds like we're going to drink and make up for uh, both Karen and John. <laughs> These are, but low ABVs, right? We're going, we're staying hydrated too. Uh, we're not sure what the ABV of that, uh, that apple Your wine cider. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we think it's 8.01, but yeah, we're not sure. <laughs> I like it was 0.01. That's, well, it's a significant <laughs> digit. You got to carry those sig figs out. <laughs> Sick fix. <laughs> Is that your one thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead. We can bump that in. <laughs> one thing. <laughs> Mathematics. That sounds a little over the top now that uh, I listened to it for like the 48th time. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. I love it. So thanks, Rob P., for that. Yes. Karen, uh, do you have a one thing? Do you, are you familiar with the one thing? Yes, I am familiar Woo-hoo. with one thing. I All feel right. like I'm on a game show. I'm like, yeah. ding. You get it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, I guess it's fair to say my one thing. I just literally got back from, it was four full crazy days at the Star Wars celebration in Chicago. Our train came in last night at 3.30 a.m. So... I was like, I am not going to miss the Chromecast. <laughs> we appreciate it. That That is quite a uh, an event to take in and then the travel on top oh. of it. And then you're still here podcasting with <laughs> us. So thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, we got to see the, the episode nine teaser. We got to see footage from the live action Mandalorian series from the upcoming Clone Wars finale. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome exhausting but awesome yeah and and i don't know if we said exactly but so so you traveled away so where are you back at now like where is kind of the home area for you i live in fargo north dakota although i am recording i said a brief walk across the river in moorhead minnesota awesome (laughs) so so how do you get into chicago to like that kind of craziness you actually you know hopped on the train is that right yes the amtrak goes through it picks us up if it's on time, it's about 2.15 in the morning. It was only 45 minutes late, so we were really lucky with that. And it's about a 12, 13-hour train trip. Holy moly. And we were seriously, we were originally going to fly, and I just at the last minute had a, oh, I don't know, I think we want to take the train again. My husband really wanted to take the train again. It's been a few years since we've done that. And then it snowed in Chicago, and all these flights were backed up, where they were canceled, and then they were backed up because of the cancellations. And we got out right on time on the train, and we're like, well, that was probably just as well. Nice. And there were other people carrying their Stormtrooper uniform on the train with us, so that was cool. Uh-huh. So do you, uh, that was the follow-up. Do you travel pretty light when you're, uh, when you're doing that kind of a big, big event? I've never done anything that big. Yeah. Yes. Oh, very much, very much. We could have done stuff, but we were not going to carry stuff with us. Uh, fortunately, my my cosplay, I am pretty much all Jenner, so all the time. So I've got the jacket and the army pants and 
that travel is pretty light. So I was able to be a little more in costume than poor Eric was. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. The, uh, no, no clone trooper armor or anything on the train. So, so with, uh, like with the event, like I, I know you mentioned some of the media that you were able to sort of partake in. Was there a lot of like, uh, I don't know where the vendors was there. There was a spectacle all around, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was everything. There were vendors like crazy. Um, the the costumery is really for me the the best thing. We saw all sorts of great costumes. So much creativity out there. Awesome, awesome. That's <laughs> that is a much better thing than I have. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Josh, do you want to go next? Do you want to do you want to hop in, or do we want to push it over to John? Um, I can go. Do it. All do right. It. All right. Do it. I'll do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Uh, I, this is kind of a self-serving thing maybe, but recently we have joined other podcasts and joined up with, uh, some awesome folks to discuss various, uh, Howardia related things. Mm -hmm. Um, the first of which we joined, uh, Jeff and Hoy over on the Appendix N book club in three subsequent episodes, talking about a variety of stories that were included in the Appendix N from the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. Yeah, yeah. Um, led off by old Luke. Uh, and you talked about the Goblin Tower by El Sprague de Camp. It was a DeCampian event. It was fun. <laughs> DeCampian event. <laughs> uh, and then John was on uh, next, and you talked about some Conan stories, right, John? This is correct. And then I was on there and I talked about some Fritz Leiber and it was a lot of fun getting to know those guys and, and talk about these stories and uh, talk about gaming with, with those dudes. So if anyone listening has not checked out the appendix N podcast, be sure to uh, subscribe to that, that show in your podcast feed. Um, and then the second thing uh, it's related. We were also, uh, invited on to Trick or Treat Radio for their episode 350 celebration. Right. And we talked about a new film called The Headhunter, um, which is a small budget fantasy horror flick. Uh, we've been posting the, the posters and the teaser. Um, and I believe that a lot of folks who are into the type of stuff that we discuss on the show would really dig that film. Yeah, yeah. To some extent or another. And so if you're not subscribed to Trick or Treat Radio, go ahead and subscribe to their feed. Uh, we're on episode 350 with the Cult of Muscle. And uh, we're on the first segment. We talk about the headhunter and uh, trees and various other things. Right, mm -hmm. Luke? Yep, yep. It's uh, Yeah, even, even if uh, regardless of whether or not you like really like that movie or if you find it like super engaging it's something that regardless like if, if you're of the of the the weird fiction and the the sword and sorcery world like you, you it's on your radar right like it's something that that would be of interest to you right uh so i would say check it out i mean it is it is the underdog. It's it's a it's an indie film, so check yep. it out and support don't, it. And don't be coy, Luke. You can be honest. I was I was cl classic Luke. I was classic a little Luke. I was a little bit of the downer uh, in my my critical eye of, on the story, but I think there was a balanced review of the material. If you look at all of so. the various Chromecasters that were on the Trick or Treat Radio, I think we were all playing to type. That's kind of how we talked about it after afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think it was a pretty even split between yeah. uh, whether folks liked it or, mm -hmm. or not. But yeah. uh, regardless of that, check out the film. 
Yeah. Uh, you can you can find it on VOD right now, and I think it's scheduled for a Blu-ray r- release later in the summer. Yeah. Um, so you can rent it and check it out and check out Trick or Treat Radio and tell Johnny and Mars that the Chromecast sent you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a... Uh there's good content and those dudes are they're off the chain they're fun it's it's a it's a totally different kind of world <laughs> to be on to be on a show with them so then michael ravenshadow said he <laughs> wants to come talk about the, the conan what if comics and uh oh. if, if he's really down for that i'm down for it i spent the next hour after we did that show talking like a massachusetts and so that was good good times <laughs> yeah good time you held it in pretty well <laughs> John, kicking it over to you. Okay, my turn. I'm the next contestant on the One Thing is Right. Uh, My One Thing is also some podcast stuff. I recently finished a 15-episode thing called Monster, and it was about the Zodiac Killer, which I I did not know a whole lot about the Zodiac Killer. I had seen the David Fincher movie, and I've seen like a few smattering things of things like on crack and other places, cracked in other places, but... Um, I didn't know a whole lot about it and it was a really in-depth cut of knowledge on this whole phenomenon that happened. And if you have ever had any interest in it, I'd encourage you to just check it out. The 15 parts, they're like 35 to 50 minutes in length and it's really well done. It's a very well-produced podcast. There's this music that they play right before they're about to do a commercial. Like that's the only thing that kind of got me because it's like this creepy bontadot. And then try Blue Apron if you want to have new recipes. And then they come back and be like, and then there were 17 knives in the cranial cavity. And that kind of – and you're like, oh, well, this is weird. This is a weird juxtaposition. Then they try Uh, to sell you some me undies because you've soiled yourself? No, they didn't. Actually, the one thing that really stuck out, the one commercial that really stuck out to me was he opened a lot of the shows with an ADT ad, so like a security ad. And then he would be like, and then there was a serial killer loose in Central California. It's like, oh, this is very targeted advertising. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Nice. Uh, it's It was interesting. I would check it out if you have any interest in learning about the killings themselves, the theories of who did it, and then the sort of modern phenomenon around serial killers, like why they can be deified by so many people and what that says about our society. So if you're interested in any of that, Chickity check it out. And last but not least. <laughs> That's you, Luke. That's me. That's me. That's me. It's me. Uh, I was a little bit truck there for a second. <laughs> I read that book to my, to my toddler occasionally. Uh, it's me. It's me. Uh, so my one thing is uh, spring has sprung here in the bluegrass of Kentucky. Uh, and I can't keep it together. I'm like... I'm, I'm starting seeds, uh, in the house and I'm, uh, buying some, some heirloom tomato seeds. I'm getting stuff going in little jiffy pots. My one thing is, is the garden. I, I think I'm going to just say, screw you, uh, old witches and, uh, like farmer's almanac. I'm still going to end up planting my garden before Derby day. Cause I think this next weekend it's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> so, so my one thing is, is my garden. I'm, I'm excited about that, and I've I've been putting seeds in the little uh, like indoor seed starting little containers and that kind of thing. And it looks like around May Day it's going to be game time. I've seen more pictures of your tomatoes than <laughs> that I've seen. I'm so proud of them. <laughs> they're 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 growing like weeds. 
Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not that, I'm not that, that high tech. I like, you know, you're supposed to have like a grow light, uh, to get, to get like legit, uh, seed starting going on. But my office has a pretty fair window that gets like entire Southern exposure from the morning till the evening. I'm like, man, it gets kind of hot in here. I can put some little, uh, baby seed starter things in here. So I bought some of the Jiffy pot, $3 little baby greenhouses and I just popped some, some basil and tomatoes and stuff in that kind of there. So the yeah. window also gazes upon a cemetery. It's so true. I think you're gonna have death metal tomatoes. <laughs> it's true. It's the uh, it's the like the Richmond, Kentucky like cemetery. It's a very it's a it's a sizable cemetery. I kind of like it, uh, just in terms of that. Like, what's the term? Like, uh, the uh, Morio Morti. What's the term? Memento like, Mori. Memento Mori. You, ta- yeah, you taught us that. You taught I, us that term. I, I I don't know, man. It's my it's my my morbid like heavy metal head like. I like to look over there and be like, no, dude, kick that shit up. Like death's knocking here in a, in a couple, in a couple days or a couple years, or I don't know, a couple decades, hopefully, <laughs> you know, get it together, dude. I'm right. I'm writing down gardening and cemeteries for you. Garden, gardening and, and heavy metal thoughts with Luke. Uh, maybe that's why I'm so into the garden now as I, as I'm in my thirties and I'm like settling down. I like the idea of rebirth in the, in the spring and, I don't know. I used to be a super a super fall dude, but I'm turning into more of a spring dude too. Your paganism really has leveled up over the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> I showed all my hornworms your tomatoes, and they they were very impressed. They want to eat them. They were getting excited. Stay away, yeah. dude. They Keep were twitching <laughs> their little horns on their butt. So they were. Never mind. Stay away from my, <laughs> stay away from my brandy wines and my black crim tomatoes. We got to keep that clean tag, Josh. <laughs> and that's four things that we are going to package and uh, uh, we're going to market and we're going to call it one thing. <laughs> right on. Uh, that's a uh, that's a lot of the front matter. I, I kind of like the <laughs> I kind of like the fashion of this episode. We talked about some some topical stuff. We kind of got side sidetracked, but now we can jump back into the topics. Well, we get, we teased it, man. We're, we're a, a meandering brook. That's mm. it's yeah. Well, now I'm wondering if there isn't a podcast on heavy metal gardening, maybe there should be. <laughs> well, <laughs> we have yes, to edit absolutely. that out. She needs, she needs to take that home and use that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, an honest black thumb, but maybe that would be appropriate. It would be. Absolutely. Would be I don't know. Patent pending. Think about this. The black, <laughs> the black thumb. The black thumb. The black thumb. Black thumb. Awesome. So we. <laughs> what do you got, Farmer Luke? <laughs> Tomatoes. Tomatoes. <laughs> Okra. <laughs> What's wrong with us? I don't know. Juvenile. Any uh, pretense of professionalism has gone out the window. Juven- oh, Juvenilia. The Chromecast, a series of diatribes. That would be <laughs> that's, that's true. All right. So, uh, so our topic at hand is uh, comparing, contrasting, discussing. Uh, we don't have to like do the uh, the side by side like comparisons of the stories, but we kind of just want to talk about the differences and the similarities between uh, "By This Exile Rule," which is a Cole story. And uh, the Phoenix on the Sword, which is, of course, the Conan the Barbarian story, mm-hmm. and both written by Howard. Uh, I guess the first thing is, how did everybody read these stories, and how has everybody read these stories? Because there's that's, variation that's there. Uh, what about you, Karen? How, what's that? What's your preferred manner? 
That's a tough question. Mm-hmm. I would probably start the way I did start, which was Phoenix on the Sword first. I do feel in some ways that the revision, like Conan is a more, I'd say relatable character. That sounds crazy. That's just crazy <laughs> talk. But I feel like this story was like really where the the sword and sorcery elements that made the whole expansive Conan world possible, like really kicks in like it. Um, I wanted to just mention, I have to say something about no Prince, you know, no Prince that between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis, that, that when Howard wrote that, he just had to look at his typewriter and be like, Eureka, I have created a new genre, you know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. The, the elements all existed in Cole, like the, the elements that are going to make up sword and sorcery. And there are other writers that had those elements too, but like, this is where the tone, it just, it nails it. And so I find it more like it draws me in a lot more. And then when I'm in a receptive frame of mind, I look at Cull and I'm like, well, this is interesting because I like Cull and I respect Cull, but I don't feel that I, I don't have quite the driving interest in it that I do in Conan. He's, and it's partly his character and it's, it is much more introspective and so yeah, so that's my thought. Okay, I kind of I had I couldn't help viewing by this axe I rule as kind of a a background to the Conan story. Okay, what about you, John? How did you like read the stories and kind of in what order? I mean, we know we talked about the Phoenix on the Sword first, but how did you do it for this for this episode? I had I had somebody read them to me. Uh, no, <laughs> I I went with the Delray versions, and I started with the Cole story because I had read Phoenix before. And I was kind of excited just to see what it looked like. So I checked it out first and then immediately followed it up with the the Phoenix on the Sword. Okay. And you're holding up your Del Rays. Yes, I, I'm gazing at them longly. This is the this was a present from my friend Josh here. This was one of the Genesis items, I think, for the Chromecast was <laughs> my Del Rey copy of the Conan book. Aww. Conan the Sumerian. Oh. Oh, buddy. <laughs> I wrote an inscription in it from you to me for you. So Thanks. you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I can't wait to find out what it says. It's it's beautiful. It'll make you cry. I also read the Del Rey's. Um, I, and I uh, sort of along along with Karen, I, I read the Phoenix on the Sword first, knowing full well that by this axe, I rule was the uh, an initial sort of uh, draft or version of this story, but it was nice revisiting it, uh, you know, because it was familiar. And then once I refreshed those memories going into the, the call story was, was kind of eye opening. And, and I have to tell you, um, it's hard for me to pick which one of these I like more. And I think we'll get into this as we discuss the stories, but the, the bones of these two stories are similar uh, but to revisit that Tolkien analogy that we've mentioned before, the soup that is made from these bones, uh, totally different. Yeah. So in terms of how I read the two stories for today's episode, uh, since I was coming into the Cole story, you know, with it, with just being ignorant of that, I read it first, followed by my revisiting uh, the Phoenix on the Sword. And so the way that I read them was uh, in a diluted 
form, I guess I would say. So I have the King Cole uh, collection, which is the Howard slash Lynn Carter, like Lancer collection there. And then, uh, which is one that I've acquired more recently, like in the past year or something. I've snagged it at a used bookstore. Uh, but the, the Conan the Usurper uh, collection, which is Robert E. Howard and L. Sprigged de Camp. This is the one that I read, like, when we first started the Chromecast that I was pulling from. So I pulled it out and I reread from that. And I guess there was no noting from, uh, Lynn Carter within the King Cole collection about the editorial, uh, uh, liberties that were taken with the, by the Saxi Rule story that's in there. But at least within, uh, de Camp's edition of of conan the usurper he notes that for both uh the phoenix on the sword and the scarlet citadel he says are safe for a few minor editorial corrections in the form in which howard wrote them and weird tales published them in the 30s so uh that's how that's how i read them there but i was kind of wanting to be able to to see how maybe the cole since i was coming into the story like six years having read it like i wanted to to read the cole story first to just see if like it jogged any memories and then i was i was uh i was really surprised at how different the two stories were mm-hmm. uh it strikes me that the cole story is much breezier and that the the conan story is a bit more intricate and there's more there's more s- stuff going on there there's the, the narrative's a bit more complex so that's how i read them uh and i read them both sort of back to back in the same day like Read one, took a little bit of a break, mowed the lawn, came back, read the other one. So it'll be interesting to hear, um, as we discuss this, if there are any points that you bring up that that we're not familiar with, given that we didn't read the uh-huh. the Elspray or yeah, the Elspray and the uh, the, the Lynn Carter. Carter. Yeah. So how do you three think we should approach this? I had in mind to talk about the differences in, in characters and themes maybe mm-hmm. rather than a beat by beat difference. Mm-hmm. But, but if any of the, the specific story differences kind of fall into those thematic differences that, that we notice across the stories, let's like, by all means, let's talk about them. Um, so is there anything that in terms of just the, the broad narrative of the story, uh, the stories, I should say, that jumps out at you three specifically as man, this is, this is something that is, it, it works in both stories or it works better. I think in the Phoenix on the sword, like what elements of the story really jumped out at you and which story do you think did it better? Hmm. I'm going to take an easy answer for this one and say that I really like Ronaldo, the, the mad poet. Okay. Singer. I like that he's in both stories. Uh, I think that this attitude of even a poet, a songwriter can outlive a king is kind of interesting. I like that Howard includes that in both versions. And I think that it's telling that he sees that in these two different epochs that he's writing, sort of. Um, and I just think that's an interesting character. It's an interesting idea that there's this dissatisfied singer, jester guy who's like, oh man. I love the old king better, even though he was a murderous, heartless bastard. Uh, he was so cool, and everything was better back then. Let's sing about that and how bad Conan is or how bad Cole is. And I just think it's a it's a cool little wrinkle. Yeah, that is a really great character, and it's not one that a lot of people talk about. But he is a very significant, and I feel like, you know, Howard being a poet 
and yeah that there there seems like there's something kind of significant about that like it's almost a it's kind of a funny commentary on what poets are like or artists are like with a grain of truth in it but going in a unique direction yeah i think yeah. that it's interesting for him to point out like maybe a negative aspect of being an artistic person but then also the fact that you really do hold a lot of power over people and hold a lot of power over the way history might remember some people even like think I, I, I so this will be sound maybe kind of weird, but I thought of Gerald Ford because okay. I feel like he was president <laughs> and people didn't like him because he pardoned Nixon and everything. But I think when people think of him now, they think of Chevy Chase pretending to be him and falling down the steps of a fake Air Force One on Saturday Night Live. And so there's this weird ability of artists and of of people that make this kind of stuff up to to wield the sword of history in a way. I just thought it, it's an interesting little just quick character that kind of pops up here. Do you think that Ronaldo uh, or Redondo is is the better version? Like which sure. which of the two stories do you think has the more powerful or, or uh, the version of the character that spoke to you the most, John? I feel like they're kind of on an even playing field. I, I don't know that I would say there's too much of a difference. They both have turned the people against Conan. Um, maybe the Conan version is a little more bloodthirsty, perhaps. I don't know if I'm if I'm on base with that, but there's they're both cool. I, I like them both. What do you think? Uh, I think there's something about the the intro scene in the uh, Cole story by this axe I rule where Redondo is ready to cut his wrist and, and drop some blood on the candle to take the oath of the, the flame and the blade. Um, a little more jokery, maybe? He's he's a little jokery, and he's wearing jester clothes, I think. And, and uh, I think that added exposure to the character kind of shows you just how kind of unhinged he is. And in the... Conan story, he doesn't come across quite as unhinged as much, at least to me, as he comes across as a malcontent who's trying to stir up some revolution. Yeah, that's yeah. that's he seems more as a, a revolutionary or something like that to me in that book. Karen, do you have any thoughts on R- the Ronaldo Redondo or or any of the other um, characters that are uh, co-occurring across the stories? So ones that recur or ones that don't recur or uh, either? Uh, either. If you want to tackle one or the other, that's fine. Well, because one of the things that I like most about the Cull story is how it delves into more of the specific frustrations of this statecraft, of these ideas that the the king can't do everything just because he's the king. He still has to deal with the people, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, he's representing the people and it's, it gets into some like kind of heavy ideas actually, but I really enjoy the, uh, the slave girl character. Of course, I always kind of enjoy slave girl characters, uh-huh. but, but um, when, uh, so when Cole has this moment where he meets this person who doesn't know that he's the king and she has all these ideas about that Cole is eight feet tall and uh-huh. kind of scary. And then is like really terrified when she finds out that, that she is this unimportant person has been 
spouting off and venting to this stranger and he's really the king and then he's like totally cool about it he, he says be at ease child mm-hmm. so it's I know a lot of people kind of knock this story for like the thing about like why does he care about these people whether they can get married or not but it's just something that you don't see a lot in Howard this young couple mm-hmm. who just wants to live their life and circumstances won't allow it and the king is like, well, they're the people that I'm supposed to be helping and it, it, the complexity of the situation. And all of that stuff kind of exists in the framework of the Conan story, but it's addressed much more directly in the Cull story. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about it. So I like the characters of the slave girl and I can't even find if she has a name. Sino is the the man. Yeah, I had to dig deep. Her her name is only mentioned once and it's Allah. A L A, yeah. Hmm. Um. So that was in the the Del Rey. I think that maybe was yeah. toward the the tail end of chapter one. But yeah, it's only mentioned the one time. And and in the the scene where she is one of the principal players, it's not mentioned at all. Right. Oh, there it is. She is a slave, Allah by name. Yeah. Um. So. Given her importance to the way things play out, it, it was interesting to me that Howard didn't give her name in that pivotal scene. Um, yeah. So, so. Yeah, she just kind of represents like the generic population of Volusia. She's just the the doubt. She represents the downtrodden. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things, Karen, that you wrote in your essay about these two stories was the difference. It was about the difference in how Cull sort of signifies his coming into power versus Conan wielding his power. And I was, mm. I, was, I was wondering if you had any further thoughts on that beyond what you wrote. I, uh, well, I might, um, I, I feel like it's in the, in the Conan story, it's a little bit more like, the sword isn't exactly like Excalibur, but I, I feel rereading it again. I, I felt really felt that significance of it and this this dream that he has and that all of the sort of frustrations that the Cole story was more directly about and mm-hmm. directly addressing are sort of the things that Conan has to kind of think about in the background and like, is it even worth being the king? Does he want to be the king? And it's almost like he and Aquilonia making kind of a commitment to each other. Mm-hmm. That he's going to be its king and Aquilonia is going to accept him, which sounds a little misty-eyed when I say it out loud. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that, yeah, that Cole was going back to some sort of his primitive nature and bringing his primitive nature into being the king, whereas Conan is very much like he'll use the axe and that's fine, but the the sword is more significant because it's this thing that represents his bond with Aquilonia and that he is going to stick it out and he is going to be, try to be a good, you know, be the king for real and be a good king. Whereas that was also kind of in the Cole story that be, becoming the king and being the king are different things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they have a lot of these themes that Howard was clearly interested in, but it is really fascinating that they, the, the focus is different somehow. It's yeah. like the lens switches from one aspect to another. Yeah, yeah. It, it it really seems like Cull represents frustration with 
you know, the administration of a, a kingdom versus Conan, who is frustrated, but seems to at least be more willing to work within the confines of it. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys think? Someone else take the wheel here. Where, where are some differences between the stories or maybe some similarities that um, you thought were interesting or uh, what were some things you liked about one story versus the other? Let's, let's take this back to our uh, approach with those Eastern stories and uh, think about some things we uh, like or didn't like. So, so one of the things that I found interesting is that, that, that Conan like knows that the, knows that there are foul things at play, right? Like the jig is up. He, he deduces that, Hey, there's a hit out and I'm going to be, uh, attempted to be, you know, assassinated here. Mm -hmm. Whereas Cole is, uh, not, jumping strictly to that point like he's kind of rescued you know by sino so to me that is an interesting thing that that really like like the 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 structure of the plot in that way i think it's a little bit more uh not ham-fisted but like conan is almost like the like he's the paragon that like has figured it out and has like a spiritual sort of little bit of, of magic that relays things to him too that he gets. I think that's interesting. And Cole is more of a, a guy that's just kind of caught and, and is coping with the situation. Uh, like that's something that, that caught me. The other thing that I thought was really interesting about the story is that at least in the Cole version, it's kind of motivated by a very personal, like it's, it's motivated by this love story. Mm-hmm. Whereas in uh, the Phoenix on the sword, it's, it's, it's larger and it's, it's not reliant on this uh, uh, decision. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not the origin story for, for Cole the King. It's it's Conan the King just doing, like, already already born and into that role. It, it's interesting because it it also, you could look at it as, his, as Conan's superhero origin story. Because Epimetrius appears to him in a dream and gives him a magic sword and tells him, I'm not going to let the servants of set take down the, the shining example of civilization in the world. Right. Right. Um, and in the Cole story, like you said, it, it is more, uh, personal, I think is a, a great way to describe it. it. It's more intimate. It's a, uh, it's about, people and their interactions and interconnections versus uh, spirituality and uh, all of the things that Epimetrius represents in the Phoenix on the sword. Yeah. I really felt Cole's frustrations like in reading, uh, in reading that, that version of the story, like he's just, you know, when he slashes, like, like the tablet is hewn in half, Mm -hmm. you really feel like he's just like, damn it fiat i'm this is this is it <laughs> yeah I can't, I can't take it no more yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't remember who i told this to at howard days but i talked to someone at howard days about the kevin sorbo movie okay of cole and how through the whole movie i was like if he doesn't 
smash that thing and say, by this axe, I rule by the end of this movie. That is all I want from this movie. <laughs> and because it is such an iconic moment and it just feels so good when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> That's okay. That was the saving grace of the cancer. <laughs> he does actually do that. So. John, um, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Luke. No, no, no I was just gonna say, yeah. Like, like, like. What are some other major differences or like topics for for conversation? Um, Thothamon. Yes. Right. <laughs> and the gibbering demon. Thing. And the gibbering demon. Thothamon and the gibbering demons. <laughs> that's our that's our you're, dark bluegrass band you're, name. Yeah, you're a cult rock <laughs> band right there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the whole element of cosmic horror that comes in in the Phoenix on the Sword, and it's it's interesting that all of those elements are missing from the Cole version, and Howard weaves them in in a way that doesn't seem forced. Mm-hmm. But we still have like uh, in in the Cole story, there was still a slave in that opening scene that has some of Thothamon's lines and and sort of plays a similar role to Thothamon, and then he vanishes into the story. Right. Um, oh yeah, that's a weird. It, I had the weird little. Thing. It's uh, the character's name is Varlets, and he's the the guy that pricks everyone's wrist and then lights the candle so they can take the oath. Yeah, I wonder how like half cooked or like w- like what was going on in Howard's head at that point in time, like with that iteration of the story, like. Yeah. That's the seed of Thothamon, right, or some or something like that. Maybe. I mean, I wonder if he was thinking maybe this this character could be used in in some other way that mm-hmm. you know he just didn't follow through with i admit i didn't read the phoenix on the sword early draft that's included in the coming of conan the sumerian i know that karen has because uh you you included that in your thoughtful uh analysis of these stories but have have you guys read that one i have not what about you john if, it, if I have, it's been a while, like maybe since we did the Conan season. Yeah. So I can't remember if Thothamon is in that version of the story or not. We've got the ancient, the ancient evil mummy. And now I'm like, wait, does he call him Thothamon by name? I honestly don't even remember. Yeah. I did not reread the draft. I just flipped through it. Um, but it, it is interesting, this transformation of this character that is present, at least in, in some minor capacity in the Cull story, and is developed into Thothamon, who becomes in, you know, non-Howard um, comics canon, one of Conan's greatest villains. And here he's, he's like, the little nuggets you get of that character is, it's awesome, like, I know we we waxed on maybe even in our first episode and we've oh, returned yeah. to it like like Thothamon as a character like <laughs> you wanted him to be a Joker esque character within the canon yeah he sticks with you kind of like Taurus of Namidia right like yeah yeah the, yeah yeah the, right those two those two characters um they just Howard is able to just drop enough lore into their background that it makes you want more right and Thothamon especially you know, is, is just so cool because he has lost his power. He's in this very vulnerable position. He gains his power back and sets in motion the, uh, the things that happen to 
thwart and almost complete the assassin's uh, goals. It's just there. There's so many moving parts in the story, even for a fairly basic and rudimentary story. Um, it, it's just so effective. It's so Conan, right? It's it's way Conan. It's yeah, it's Max. Like, I think that that's the part that's that's cool. Is that I don't know if Thothamon would have felt in place in a Cole story, right? I I don't know that. I think we're talking about like a primordial time with Cole, and maybe. There's magic afoot and there's snake people and stuff, but I feel like Thothamon has to have come after the sinking of Atlantis between the age of the sons of Arios and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And we do have some magicians in Kul, the Cull stories, right? Like Tuzanthun was able right. to, to to put the the magic on on Cull, but oh yeah, I'm not saying that there's not magic then, but it's much more. It's it it's clear that that precedes conan right i mean that's part of this whole transition from axe to sword is that there's a there's a history that howard is building Mm -hmm. and i feel like if you look at axe there it's like just it feels more ancient to me there's less of that stuff on the planet or i'm crazy you're not crazy (laughs) Or maybe, well, maybe you are, but is he, Karen? Do you think he's crazy? (laughs) (laughs) No, Um, I'm just flipping through here. And yes, he is Thothamon in the draft and they call Uh, him Thoth more than Thothamon. Thothamon, Thothamon. That's really hard on my tongue. (laughs) And, and the cosmic horror element is definitely coming in. It's, uh, and a lot of, I think some of my favorite bits are, are already in the draft. But somehow I feel like it gets ratched up even a little bit more in the final draft. Like the, uh, okay, it's slavering black fangs, mm-hmm. the glare of its yellow eyes, shriveled his limbs as a killing wind shrivels young corn. I'm just like, ah. Yeah, that's Yeah, I, he does seem like he's going to be more important than he does mm-hmm. to me. I feel like, yeah. Oh, I have another random thought here, so... Pardon my no drop it. No, this is this is pardon perfect. my drift of thought. But w- one thing when I was looking at this the, this time when I was looking at the two stories, it occurred to me how few recurring characters there are in the Conan stories, unlike a lot of Howard's other works, mm-hmm. where like Solomon Kane has his best friend who reappears in different stories, mm-hmm. and even Elborak has friends that recur, and Cull has like a whole entourage. Right. Yeah that recur from story to story and they're these important characters and by the sacks I rule. But Conan doesn't have a lot of people like that. He just goes from place to place. And I was like, I've never really thought of him that way because he's much more of an outgoing character than Cole. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have much in the line of recurring friends or recurring villains. Whereas like today, Thothamon would definitely be reused if you were going to tell more stories about Conan. Mm-hmm. A raider today would almost always, you're like, this is a great villain, or a lot of the villains in these stories. Right. But each story is being so self-contained. And I, I don't really, this is a new thought, so I don't really have any conclusions about it. But I just thought, this is interesting that Conan is more of a guy who goes from place to place, and he always meets new people. And that wasn't always the case in the recurring characters before him. So, yeah, I don't know. Where's his brule? Where is his brule? Mm-hmm. 
because I do miss Brule. I like Brule a lot too. Why do you think that? Why do you think that is? Like Conan and uh, sorry, uh, Cull and Brule were, uh, you know, written about and devised earlier in Howard's career, whereas Conan was later. So I, I'm sorry. No, go. Uh, uh, I mean, it's just immediately it's striking me. I mean, Conan is. He's an island, right? Like he doesn't have a problem expressing himself, but he is happy to uh, not need to ruminate. And we talked about Cole. Like Cole is is a little bit more emo, right? Like he is the mm-hmm. more uh, uh, brooding of the characters, and he's the one that has more of those expressions. From what I remember from the fewer Cole stories, there's a, there's a bit more of him. Uh, waxing on and doing some Macbeth stuff like mm-hmm. he's staring oh, at the mirror yeah. and he's saying I'm <laughs> am, am I am I cold or is that cold yeah <laughs> and and Conan like while he'll say those things like face to face to to his antagonist or or somebody else that's like there there's not a need for it right like and so I think it's like Conan the character is more of the self-sufficient uh operator mm-hmm. Whereas, I don't know, maybe Cole's a little bit more needy. Well, I think, I think you're onto something because Cole, you know, we, we invoked the, the mirrors of Tiz and Thune where he is speculating about the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. And in the Queen of the Black Coast, Conan says something to the effect of, uh, if, if life is an illusion, then I'm an illusion and mm-hmm. thus the illusion is real to me. So he doesn't think about it beyond that i i live i love i slay and right, i'm content right, right? Yeah. like that's it's fine if i'm not real i'm i'm real enough for me whereas cole never comes to an answer am, am i real am i not i don't know yeah hmm. yeah i i i feel like that there's a kernel of that that's something but yeah i haven't i haven't, I haven't read <laughs> either of those two like either it's of those two suites of stories in a while and so i might be misremembering exactly how Conan sort of like delivers his narratives on this, on, on the page the same way that Cole does. I think Conan is very present in the moment and Cole is very introspective and thoughtful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I agree that that's true, which is interesting because in this story, Cole is very in the moment, right? Like he grabs the, the stone tablet and he crushes it with the ax and, and he grabs his crown and he's bleeding and le- leaning against the wall and, and, and telling everybody I'm, I'm the king. And if you want to be the king, you got to come get the crown. <laughs> it's like his most Conan-esque moment. I think so. Yeah. Uh, of the Cole stories that we've read yeah. on the show, for sure. That's his Conan moment. And so I guess the lingering question that I think folks have talked about and debated for, for probably years and years is, do you three think that Cole is a proto Conan and, and that is it? Like the, the, the course of history was always going to be that Conan was going to emerge and Cole was just a first draft or are they different enough to be, um, I guess, considered separate characters in their own right. And I guess let's talk about this from the context of the story first and then expand it outward. So I think these two stories are sufficiently different that, that they, they are worth discussing almost in separate contexts. I think you can talk about by the sex I rule apart from Phoenix on the sword okay. and, and interpret it in a lot of different ways relating to Cole 
coal and his coaliness of <laughs> of who of who who he is. Uh and so I think on the basis of this story, like Cole is not the the predecessor to Conan. Okay. Karen, do you have any thoughts? Yes. I, I think Cole is his own character. And there are some spots where line by line, only some of the exact same lines are used to describe them or very, very small changes. But then there are other things that are added in and taken out. And I feel like he is completely transformed so that even where they are the most similar, they're still to me, totally different characters. So it's almost like they're a a story, you know, rewritten with some of the common plot elements, but with totally with, with separate distinct characters in them. I very much feel that Cole is his own character and he was in, it's true. I mean, it, he was, this story was part of Conan's evolution, but I, I feel like it was sufficiently transformed, (laughs) (laughs) sufficiently transformed. Thothamon. (laughs) Right. Thothamon is is instrumental (laughs) in that transformation. Right. Uh, John, what do you think is Conan uh, or sorry, is Cole just a stepping stone on the path to Conan or is Cole his own character? And I, you can, you can address this either from the context of the story or, or expand it outward. However you want. Yeah. I got to say that I can see why there's a connection. I mean, they're in the same age they're both Kings and both barbarians at heart, but I do feel that they are separate and unique characters and that they're almost better viewed as in a prism of like a progression of Howard or even just like separate aspects of Howard's personality. Like I think Howard wanted to have the adventures of Conan and to see the world like Conan did, but in some ways was the brooding, I think Luke called it emo Cole earlier. (laughs) Uh, He, he tended to fall into those kinds of doldrums sometimes. So I think that, it's not necessarily that they are the same. It's that they came from the same wellspring. And so they're more of separate projections of, of Howard's internal, uh, his internal self. Okay. Not to get all psychological or anything. Well, I think it's easy to do that with, you know, these types of stories that on the surface, they're, they're entertainment, right? It's, it's, big dumb fun. But as you read them more closely, you pick up on some of the, I guess the aspects of the authors that they weave into the stories. Mm-hmm. And I think in one part that I, that I am intrigued by with this is maybe Howard's view on a capable ruler. Okay. Like what does it mean to be a King? What does it mean to be a leader of people? And I feel like we get two very different takes on that. The, the ending of acts where he's like, I am the law, I am the King. And he smashes stuff and there's that. And then there's Conan, which I think Luke was putting it earlier. It seems much more comfortable for him to be in charge. Is that fair to say Luke? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the way it strikes me. Like the entire way through by this, the acts I rule Cole is uncomfortable with ruling up until the last moment where he says, damn it, I'm still uncomfortable, but you're, you're all going to be uncomfortable alongside me. Like is kind of how he words it. It's interesting because Cole is faced, Cole is faced with a couple of extra scenarios that Conan isn't faced with, right? Like they're, they both want to go 
ride with their their buddies mm-hmm. and drink wine somewhere else that's not this throne room. But uh, Cole has to deal with this question of uh, uh, marriage. Right. And so- yeah. social castes that Conan doesn't have to deal with. On the other hand, Conan has to deal with a long dead sage telling him, oh, you're the, the chosen hero who's going to defend the kingdom against mm-hmm. the, the evil one. Whereas Cole doesn't have to deal with that. It's state statescraft versus, you know, this sort of mythic, um, you're the chosen one. Yeah. Uh, and Cole. So as I was reading by this XR rule, I couldn't escape. Like, is it, is it King David that like, there's the, uh, the, the biblical story of the two different, uh, parents that want the child and like like David makes the remark that you know cut the child in half and they'll split split him equally or something. Is like, that Solomon or is that Solomon. Solomon? I guess it's Solomon, right? Uh, like like Cole is not Solomon. Like, but I feel like that's kind of where Howard was going with this moral quandary that no matter who you are as a leader, you can't you can't uh. Like you're put in this rock in a hard place between reconciling like society and longstanding culture and you know all of those things might be stupid and there's the the, the truth of the relationships and like the like the immediate need that's clear like uh, Cole was not smart enough to come up with the uh, the decisive like Solomon statement of cut the cut the child in half and use that as the metric to sort of evaluate the situation here. He just says, I'm going to cut the law in half. And like, he just sort of like shatters it. So I think that's also, I think that's telling about Howard, but I think, uh, that's like a testament to like Cole being a human who can't like, no matter what he does, he's bound to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're digging at the thing that I think I was trying to dig at, which is it's that sort of the Harvey Dent adage that you you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah, like I nice. was the liberator and now they hate me. They can't stand me. They Their heart has turned against me. Uh, that aspect of it. And I'm I want to say something more profound about this whole like Cole at the end. He shatters the laws of his of the land that he rules. Like he takes a stone tablet and breaks it and says, I am the law. And there's like some sort of weird, I find that jarring to think also about Howard's view on civilization. And I would say probably on government in general, where he seems to be much more of an individualistic type person. And when you translate that into a ruler, you get like the great man of history kind of thing, or the, I, I like almost autocratic fascistic sort of overtones. I don't know how else to put it really. You, if, what do you think, Josh? Well, I was going to ask you to put on your best Dan Carlin uh, impression <laughs> and tell us about the great man of history, but <laughs> well, it, like I feel like that's kind of what I think Cole wants to be that. And Conan is to a better extent. Okay. The great man of history, but, but Conan is fated to be. Yeah, Conan's selected by outside forces to be right. Yeah, I want to say something really profound here, like Dan Carlin would, but I don't know <laughs> that I I have formulated this fog enough. Yeah, to do it. Is this something that you've wrestled with, Karen, and sort of thinking about like the 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 structure and like the 
the pol- politics of it? Well, it's yeah. Well, what you're saying, I think I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> the uh, because the the cold moment as a story is so satisfying. You know that ending is so Absolutely. satisfying 100%, as a conclusion yeah. to a story. But then when you think about it, it's like, well, this is kind of the act of a tyrant who's going to say, "I'm going to throw out the law, and what I say is going to go," even if he's in many ways right about what he wants to do. That is a not always a good thing, and right. it, it is interesting thinking how Howard's yeah was much more of a individualistic democratic tendency but there's always i guess that tension between well but these but i'm right <laughs> right yeah I think I'm right that's the, these things should go that's the cool tension there to me is that he's right and he he is absolutely changing a society for the better but maybe just from a modern perspective you look at it and you're like oof i don't know about that like i don't know how i feel about that <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of problems with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah. We almost we we almost need a Superman to come in <laughs> and and rescue rescue all of us. <laughs> I mean, C-SPAN would be much more exciting if this is what occurred, right? If somebody wrenched an axe off the wall and broke stone tablets while they were arguing on the floor of the Senate. Yeah, this wow. is why the MCU had the whole deal with the Sokovia Accords. <laughs> <laughs> throw that in there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's a lot to these stories. I mean, Josh, you mentioned earlier you use the the terms that you know this. Did you say big dumb fun or like the like the like you, action of you, it? Like, I think you expect that, right? Like, yeah. If you if you come to these stories uh, through either the comics or, or maybe the films, then maybe you expect some, some big dumb action, but it's not that at all. And I mean, we've said it over and over again. The very first time you meet Conan is sitting at a desk, looking at a map and being scholarly. He's not like out on the battlefield, like pulling his ax out of, uh, some, you know, some dead Cretan's skull. Like it's, 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 He's, he's 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 drawn a map. He's drawn a map and being a politician. There's a lot to the to, to both of these stories. Uh, I don't know. It's it's cool. It's it's cool to read the the Cole story because it is it is far more different than than I would have guessed. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was going to be more of like word choice and like parsing of like very fine plot details it's not that at all like it's 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 dramatically different yeah they they start in a very sort of parallel manner and diverge very quickly yeah so what else what what have we left out is there any other any other point that we need to 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 chew on before we put this topic to rest I mean, well, oh, oh, you go ahead. No, go ahead, Karen. I have a, I have a thing, but yeah, no, please. no, do it. Um, well, I did want to mention the, the thing that struck me the most about the earlier draft of the Phoenix on the Sword, and the reason that I ended up writing the essay about it is that the version of Conan that you see in the original draft, it's the story is transforming, and Conan is definitely transforming. He's not Cull anymore. But he is much he is much more emo in the story. I mean, he's actually all just he's very melancholy and much more introspective and much more on that cull side of of the thoughtfulness spectrum. Hmm. 
he hasn't yet become that, would you call him like a person of the now or a person in the moment? Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, he's, in this, he's closer to Cull in his introspective quality. And I just found that very interesting because he becomes the character with the, you know, the gigantic melancholy and the gigantic mirth. But in this story, the gigantic mirth is almost like a, is almost like a cover. He's acting as if everything is fine. But as soon as he's alone, he sinks into this sort of existential despair. And I feel like that was a crucial change that when we get to the Conan that we actually finally see in print is very different and it's going to remain with him pretty much throughout his career. So anyway, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but just the fact that he, the emo-ness was one of the last things to go okay. <laughs> in the transformation. Well, and I guess that was one of what I was, what I was going to bring up is one of the things that we haven't really talked about is sort of the, the word stylings and the way that the characters are sort of written by Howard. And I mm-hmm. know Josh, you did, you did some of your, some of your R skills and generated some, some, some balloons and some bubbles and, and whatnot. <laughs> but I mean, there are differences in the ways that, that Howard sort of flavors these two, these two protagonists up. Right. And we've, we've, we've worked around it uh, here with our discussion, but maybe that's another little vein that we can mine just a little bit deeper. Definitely. Yeah. So um, in much the same way that we analyzed some of the El Borac stories last season, we uh, conducted some analyses of the, the words in the story. Um, and uh, we'll post these, these figures into the show notes uh, but one thing that I thought was interesting is that if you look at the frequency of the uh, the various words that are used, right? Uh, king obviously is one of the most frequent words. If you combine the words from both stories into one document and then just count them up, right? So that makes some sense. Uh, but the next most frequent word is eyes, and Howard, oh. yeah, Howard really sort of puts some emphasis on the uh, description of the eyes. And so uh, of the eyes, I figured out that uh, there are some recurring descriptions of the eyes across these different stories. Uh, And so the more frequent descriptions of eyes are blue eyes, gray eyes, dead eyes, and eyes blazing. Okay. And eyes blazing is the more frequent of those term, those term combinations. Okay. And so I know in, in your your essay, Karen, you made uh, an observation about the differences in uh, Cull and Conan's uh, physical descriptions. And I believe that Conan has the, the blazing blue eyes and, and Cull has the uh, captivating gray eyes. What, yes. What do you Let mean? Yeah, Cull gloomily eyed and Conan <laughs> fixed his smoldering blue eyes. What what do you three make of the the description of the, the descriptions of eyes in these stories? Like, why does Howard focus on on eyes? That's the of, window to the soul, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a physical um, yeah. way. Sorry, of, I, I see magnetism just popped out of me. That's cool. 
that sounds like Cull right there. He's got an icy magnetism. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Like, like the way that I just sort of imagine him too is uh, not 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 dead, but a very like sort of stripped down and and hard to read sort of persona, right? Mm-hmm. Of the characters that were more fre- most frequent, uh, Cull, Ascalante, and Conan. Uh, which makes sense if you com- combine and collapse those stories down. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have the word sword, which is pretty uh, frequent. It's the one, two, three, four, five, sixth most frequently used word mm-hmm. uh, when you combine and collapse the two stories, which is interesting because one is by this axe eye rule and the other is uh, the phoenix on the sword. Right. But both of these uh, characters use a sword at one point. Right. So uh, we'll we'll post that on the show notes. The other thing that I think is interesting is uh, we conducted a sentiment analysis of these stories and uh, broke them down into five equal portions and um, generated figures that uh, one, the first of which is by the sax I rule and the second is the Phoenix on the sword, the final draft. And what you see is that uh, both of these stories are overwhelmingly um, categorized as negative in their language and tone. Um, and that's, we'll, we'll talk about why that might be in just a second. But the third section of by this ax I rule is the uh, most positive. Mm-hmm. And it is when uh, I believe when Cull is talking to, to the, Allah. the Allah. Yeah. She, he's talking to the slave girl. Uh, the final two sections of the Phoenix on the sword are the most negative. And that's when the blood is flying and the combat mm-hmm. is happening. Um, the words that most uh, heavily weight the negative uh, are slave, dark, outlaw, death, and dead. And the positive words are the top five positive words are easy, gold, trust, golden, and soft. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Cuddly. Cuddly. Yep. <laughs> Soft like a golden cuddly. <laughs> that's I think that's how Howard described <laughs> Cole when he first showed up. In his younger days. In his younger days, he was soft like a golden cuddly. <laughs> um, then he stared into a mirror. <laughs> so yeah, that changed everything. So <laughs> anyway, the, there are some differences in the language used between these two stories, but um, and they're well, both pretty negative. Like you brought that up that we could return to it. So, so like they're both negative and they're and the, the word loading. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I used this time I used a, uh, uh, sentiment index that I found on Bing. Okay. I, I binged it. I binged something Maybe instead of Googling it. Google's upset at you. <laughs> um, your maps are going to suck for like the next two weeks. <laughs> we're the, we're the Bing Chromecast. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, so it is not me uh, or, or any of us on the show sort of providing the, the positivity or negativity of any given word. It's, yeah. it's from some, some search engine. Um, and you could make the argument that maybe some of the positive words are actually used in a negative context and some of the uh, negative words are used in a positive context. Um, and I'll, we'll post all that when we post the episode. Yeah, yeah. So, are there any other last-minute thoughts about the Phoenix on the Sword or by this Axi rule that we need to get out before Thothamon's demon shows up and eats us all? So, Would oh. you rather have an axe or a sword? That's a good question. Mm. Uh, and for, 
Oh, I was going to say, Karen, Karen made this awesome point in her essay. The, you said that the sword is representative of a more civilized, sort of a more advanced uh, weapon, more, more of a civilized weapon versus an axe, which is a, a more ancient weapon. And, and I thought that was such an awesome observation, one that I never even would have, would have thought of. Um, and so given that, I'm, I'm going with the axe. You can chop wood with it. You can cleave skulls. <laughs> Multi-purpose. That's right. <laughs> How about you, John? Sword I'm an guy? Axe boy. Axe boy all the day. Axe boy. Away. Axe boy. Axe boy. Luke? I mean, if I'm going for, for flavor, the axe, but, you know, like in my uh, continued, like, D&D es- escapades, I'm like... The sword, just like a straight up, like, yeah, one handed, like, the crit range, long, the long, the long handed sword is like the most practical, like, uh, uh, tool that that a fighting person could wield, right? Like, it just does so much, but I mean, you just want to swing the axe, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I would want that long sword with a shield, I guess is what I'm saying. You're, the, you're going with the sword. But if I was going full on barbarian, I would want that axe with both uh, hands. You're waffling. You got to <laughs> commit. Karen, are you, Karen I, are you ruling with an talk, axe or are you rocking I, with a sword? I, I feel like I have to go with the axe as well. <laughs> I mean, it just there is something so satisfying about the axe. Yeah. Well. So, and now I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, how often... Conan has used an axe. Who do I know who's got like a compendium of all of Conan's weapons? You know, probably Bobby. Probably Bobby Derry. I I will hit him up and be like, so do you have an index of every weapon used in the Conan stories? If if he doesn't, if he doesn't, he will soon. There's got to be a a spreadsheet of that. Yeah. 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 Because somehow, yeah, you seems like Conan should be – I think that kind of surprised me because I felt like I would expect Conan to pick up the axe and make more use of it in the story, but then the sword becomes more important. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, so – I mean, he does use axes and he uses the axe in the story, but – So it would be it would be awesome. So, so here's a little seed idea. Like if you had a spreadsheet that broke <laughs> down every Conan story and every incidence of like Conan wielding – a specific weapon versus another weapon. Like I could see that being interesting to talk about, like how, yeah. uh, like how dark the story might be. And also like maybe how exotic it would weapon. be. So, uh, like and then we do a Kai square and the expected is a sword or an ax. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and also like I could see some level of like, like, uh, like when I said exotic, like othering, like, of like you would associate like more exotic weapons with, you know, some what about when he strangles Baltor with a bare hand? <laughs> and, and the outcome of the analysis is Conan just uses his hands. That's right. Conan is a weapon. Your analysis means nothing. <laughs> he smashes your anal- analysis with an axe. I smash you, Kai Square. Uh, we've devolved. I feel uh, like Karen has discovered that we are a, a bagel, a bagel of weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> a bagel. Yeah, that's true. Um, Karen, do you have any final thoughts about the Phoenix on the sword or by this axe eye rule that we didn't get to? I think you covered a lot of the main, uh, a lot of the main stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It seems pretty thorough, which is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. They're they're great stories. Everyone should read them both. There you go. This was, this was fun. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this season. I mean, I know we've, (laughs) we've, 
we've uh we've moved through the initiation we're moving into uh further waters out i'll look up what we're talking about yeah next, look up the but, word but yeah, the, i was gonna ask do we have sneak previews of coming attractions <laughs> yeah we'll look it up uh and and while luke is looking that up um karen do you have any any work or any uh things that you're working on right now that you'd like to tell people about or any any presence on the web that you'd like folks to uh, be directed to Yes, um, I have a couple things that are coming up. So one of them is from Hippocampus Press. I don't have a release date yet. There is a collection of essays on Arthur Mackin, and I will have a piece in there. Awesome. Which I'm pretty excited about. Sweet. And I, yeah, but I don't have a release date on that yet. And in supposedly on June 15th, this book called Voodoo, Hoodoo, and Conjure in African-American Literature, Critical Essays, will be coming out, and I have an essay in that. So with uh, with both of those two selections, can you talk just briefly about like the, the topics, like what's your Mackin story or line of inquiry, and what's the, the, the voodoo sort of topic that you're hitting on? Can you read uh, that? The Mackin the story is, oh, it's very sort of conceptual <laughs> okay uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> i'm trying to even like what did i even say about that <laughs> but it was was sort of about how using using the weird tale and telling stories about things that are scary and connecting that to the idea of the sublime so that is a way of showing how you feel about something and how awestruck and how even a way cool you think it is cool by making okay. something scary about it. Uh-huh. And like, for example, uh, the example I've used, I think before in different contexts, is of Lovecraft and his whole thing about about the astronomy and sinister astronomy. Well, you know, he loved astronomy. He was passionate about astronomy. It was something that he thought was very great. But by making it scary, he could make you have an emotional reaction about it and kind of get in something about how awe inspiring it was. And so it's more specific to Arthur Mackin's views, but I can't remember what I said exactly. But the, uh, the voodoo book is about the real life use of African-American folk magic and voodoo religions in a few of the novels by Ishmael Reed. Uh, so there are right. books called Mumbo Jumbo and the Last Days of Louisiana Red in particular. Okay. And his real life ideas and knowledge of these subjects and how they play out in his fiction. And then how his fiction almost becomes like a work of folk magic to try and create things that he wants to see. Oh, cool. So, okay. That is awesome. That's <laughs> And it, it kind of brings me back because my first published thing on on Howard was about the use of real life voodoo and folk magic elements and Robert E. Howard, since this is sort of an area of interest of mine. So when I read things that use these elements, I have read enough about it where I can be like, well, this is actually based on real folklore. And then this is stuff that was just made up. So it's it's fun to be able to use all these different different things and make something out of them. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. That is. That's cool. So when those come out, you'll have to uh, let us know so we can post links where yep. p- people can uh, 
uh, either buy a copy or, or get the ISBN so they can look it up for themselves and uh, uh, check out your awesome scholarship. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome, awesome. And when are you guys going to put out a book? <laughs> we we uh, audio book. Uh, we have nine we, seasons long. We have a uh, a, a an ephemera publication in mind that we might do someday. So that would be we'll cool. But uh, week week to week, month to month, year to year, you get <laughs> the hours of content here, audio style. That's cool. that's the main quality. <laughs> the main delivery. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. So, Karen, thank you so much for joining us tonight and and uh, uh, sharing your thoughts about by this axe I rule and the Phoenix on the sword yep. and Howard in general. Uh, this was a blast getting to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been super fun. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Luke. Uh, did you bet. look up? Did you look up where we're going next? I did. We have accomplished the initiation. The initiation is complete. <laughs> next is the extension. We're going to extend it. <laughs> and so with that, we have a, a story that, I mean, I swear, I feel like even from the first season, people were saying, hey, you guys going to talk about God in the Bowl? Hey, you guys going to talk about God in the Bowl? Hey, is everybody going to talk about God in the Bowl? But when... But did you guys know that you didn't do the God in the Bowl? <laughs> yes. So we're we're going to talk about the God in the Bowl by Robert E. Howard versus the God in the Bowl by L. Sprague de Camp. That's what we're talking about next. That's right. So that'll be a fun one. Uh, and following that, uh, we're talking about the inspiration, which is uh, the striking of the gong, which we're doing the Howard version as well as the Lynn Carter version. So in the next two episodes, we're talking about uh DeCamp adapting Howard and then Carter adapting Howard which is pretty cool. Yeah. And then right. the final like you know we've got more stuff planned but after that we're going to talk about uh uh the Queen of the Black Coast in comics which is like something that's been adapted to to Helen back right. Multiple like we times. talked about like these single stories that seem to leave this indelible mark on on Conan, you know, Belit, she's like She's that one thing that that, that Conan just is like imprinted, <laughs> you know, like on his little heart. He's got a little baby tattoo. That's right. Uh, that this is Belit. Uh, so so we're gonna talk about Belit. We're gonna talk about Queen of the Black Coast, and specifically, we're gonna talk about that in relation to comics. Uh, so that's that's what we're getting into. So God in the Bowl next, and uh, striking of the Gong after that, and then uh, Queens. Of the Black Coast. I'm going to go ahead and add the S to that. Queens of the Black Coast? Yeah, to, to sort of subvert it. All right. And can we can we talk about the guest that we have lined up for next time? It, sure. Yeah. What's, <laughs> what's up with that? Uh, we've got our pal Mark Finn, who uh, is going to join us for the God in the Bowl discussion. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Right on. Yeah. So... Uh, once again, thanks Karen for joining us. And, uh, even though you were exhausted from star Wars celebration, you were able to use the forest and make it through. <laughs> and, uh, for everyone else, you can always find us on the web at the chromecast.blogspot.com. We're on Twitter at the chromecast. We're on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash the chromecast. And we're on Instagram at the chromecast. And you can call us and leave us some voicemail. That's eight, five, nine, four, two, nine, Chrom. Get your parents' permission. All right, guys. We're out. We'll talk to everybody later on. We'll see you a little bit further down the road. <laughs> of revisions. Revisions. <laughs> <laughs> sounds totally bookmaking. Yeah, the road of revisions. <laughs> awesome. Good deal.
Light the fires. 